I hope you came hungry. Today we're going to be sitting down with Hungry Goria, a.k.a. HG, to talk about Breath of Fire. Hungry Goria is a YouTuber and streamer on Twitch of exclusively retro gaming and vintage gaming content. Currently going through a Sega Master System content emphasis, and also she runs a, a blog themed around collecting, so check that out. Links are in the description. As a reminder, we're still recruiting more writers for the Super Mario Multiverse collab. So if you're interested in that, please contact me. You can find my email at thewellreadmage at gmail.com. And you can also find me on Twitter at thewellreadmage. The Christmas season is nigh upon us. So check out our merch store at TeePublic. There's a link in the description. And you can find all kinds of insanely well-designed designs that you can slap on mugs, shirts, hoodies, that sort of thing. Breath of Fire is not my favorite game, but it represents the start of one of my favorite franchises. So this is a podcast that I'm very excited to get into. So why don't we do just that? Good evening. Thanks for joining us. I'm very excited for this episode. Uh, I'm sitting down with HG. That's short for Hungry Goria. Is that how it's pronounced? I always have to ask how names are pronounced online. I mean, that's how I've always pronounced it, but I've heard myself be corrected by my own screen name, and people have told me that it's supposed to be Hungry Guria, according to the canon Zelda pronunciation. But oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't care less, honestly. Yeah. yeah, it's tough with these old games. I mean, the game that we're going to talk about has some names where I'm like, I think this is how you're supposed to say it, but mm-hmm. not sure. Well, anyway, thanks for joining us. Um, we're going to be talking about... Breath of Fire, Breath of Fire 1 tonight. But before we get into that, so that we kind of get a little more of an idea of who you are, um, what are some games that you're playing right now? And is there anything in particular that you're working on that you want to tell us about? Well, right now I'm currently working through Elemental Gimmick Gear on the Sega Dreamcast, which is a little newer than what I'd usually be playing. But that is an action RPG for the system and one that eluded me for a long time. And I finally managed to get a hand on. So I've been playing that a couple of nights a week right now on Twitch for live streaming. And I very recently just finished up River City Ransom for the first time for NES, which was a fantastic time. Um, Kind of blew my socks off, honestly. (laughs) I didn't know what to (laughs) expect from a brawler RPG and then... There it was. I, I don't know that I stopped smiling most of the time I was playing that one. Oh, it's lovely. I love that game so much. Yeah, and it, it just kind of came out of left field. Um, other than that, I just played through two other action platforming RPG kind of games. Dane in the Jungle Fighter for the mm-hmm. Sega Master System and also Lord of the Sword, which was uh, a weird, weird little game. Mm-hmm. But uh, been working on getting some content put together on those for YouTube and all of that. I've put a few videos together on that recently, at least the latter two. And I'm just seeing where I am settling in with the rest of those. Yeah. Nice. A couple of those I hadn't even heard of Lord of the Sword. So do you do uh, kind of reviews or analyses or um, you just stream your gameplay and do walkthroughs or what sort of content could we expect from your channel? Well, I'd call it more more of a casual review style. Um, okay. I don't really have a, a structured review 
like a lot of other channels may, but I mostly try to draw from my own experiences with the game and things that I personally liked or disliked versus going into the whole background of who developed things. And it's very much a a personal take on a lot of these games and Mm. coming at it from a perspective typically without a lot of nostalgia because it's the first time I'm playing a lot of these things in my adult life. So a little bit of a different spin, I guess, than your average review. And Mm. some of my older content was a lot of Let's Plays through Sega Master System games in particular as I was just getting into that console and its library over the last couple of years and kind of falling madly in love with it. So Mm -hmm. I felt like I wanted to pay some homage to those games in a way that other people might be able to experience them, especially in North America where a lot of people didn't really get exposure to that system. So that was my, my little saunter into YouTube, I guess, was starting out there. That's cool. I think that personal perspective is really valuable. You kind of get a lot of um, something that I ran into even just doing a little bit of research for this game. Um, even though it's one that I've played through a couple times, I, I needed a refresher. Uh, you run into a lot of people that are doing uh, really kind of clinical content, I think, if if you were to put a word on it. And what I mean by that is sort of recycling and trading back and forth the same facts. Um, so you'll click on a, you know, top 10 facts about Breath of Fire, and they're the top 10 facts that you heard about in the last three Breath of Fire videos. But so all that to say, I think you're doing good stuff, the personal um, perspective is really good. Is your favorite game Faxanadu? It is definitely up in some of my, what I consider to be my favorites. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. It's a game I grew up with okay. and I played to death. You know, it's one of those games I used to slap the game genie on and just wander around in for hours and hours as a kid. And I didn't actually finish it legitimately for the first time until I was into my adulthood quite a ways. And it was awesome. And now I try to play it every year. It's actually probably going to come up on my stream list shortly again so that I capture it again in 2019 before the year ends. So I'm looking forward to that. I always love going back to that adventure. That's cool. Uh, there was uh, Trash Lavania on Twitter said, oh, man, I'm surprised her first appearance her first appearance won't be for Faxanadu. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a game a lot of people associate with you. I've still got to play it myself though. Uh, oh. So it's something you'd recommend? I would say so. I'd say it's it's a good adventure. It's got great music. It has great ambience, especially for the NES. The one clincher that a lot of people get worked up about is some of the inventory systeming and also the key system because you need keys to open up doors, but you have to buy them, but they don't stack. And you also, once you use your key, it disappears forever. So you can get into a situation where you need a key to go forward, but then you end up having to buy three keys to get back to where you were when you realize that. So it's a little bit confusing in a first playthrough, but Hmm. once you know how many keys you need, you're all set. So I I would recommend it, you know, over and over again, as much as possible. Please play Faxanadu. You will not be disappointed. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, that's cool. I, I will have to check that out. Um, yeah, inventory stacking is a thing. Uh, mm-hmm. It's even a thing in this game that is an issue. But anyway, we're on to Breath of Fire. This is episode 37, first stage halitosis. 
Breath of Fire was released in 1993 in Japan and 1994 in North America for the Super Nintendo, developed and published by good old Capcom. Uh, this is Capcom's self-admittedly their first traditional role-playing game ever. Uh, they had little experience with localizing games with this much text, so it was released in the West with the aid of Squaresoft for promotion and localization. Kind of a fun fact is that uh, they decided to do it on their own for the second game, and it, it shows the second game has got some major, major localization issues. Uh, but this game, Breath of Fire, spawned a beloved but short-lived series. There are six games in total only, and Breath of Fire is known for its vague connectivity between games as well as its recurring characters, uh, which we'll probably touch on in a little bit. But first, something that I really wanted to ask you, Breath of Fire, as mentioned earlier, is a series that, that I enjoy. Um, Breath of Fire 1, not so much. But not too many people talk about Breath of Fire 1. So when I saw that you were uh, playing through it yourself, I was like, that's interesting. I wonder um, you know, what kind of thoughts uh, you're going to have on it uh, and playing it through the end. So this was the first time that you played it, right? Absolutely, yeah. It was something I picked up a long while ago. But just at the pace I've been working through some of my games, it kind of got put on the back burner. Mm -hmm. But somebody had actually specifically asked me to play through it. Oh. So it kind of got pushed to the top of the list. And okay. it, it does have a lot of fans, surprisingly. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of underground. Like I'm finding that, you know, somebody will tag somebody and then somebody tags three people. I'm like, oh, there's like an entire clan of dragon <laughs> fans out there. Uh, mm -hmm. So that explains why you played it then. Um there's a question here from Tomaki Weekly. As a kid, I never knew anybody who played this franchise. Um, I can think of maybe like one other kid who played this franchise as a kid. Uh, my question is, how did you get introduced to your first Breath of Fire game? So we heard from HG. For me, I don't remember. Uh, this is a game that I've been playing for a long time, and I was seven or eight uh, when it came out, so... I was pretty young. I don't remember. But what what were some of your expectations? So somebody says, hey, you should play Breath of Fire. Uh, and, you know, it's been on your backlog. Uh, but what, what were some of your expectations going into this game? Well, I feel like just because of how, I guess, passionate the fans of this series are, my expectations were actually quite a bit higher than mm -hmm. where the game actually met me. And it was more that I guess a lot of people that have played this in the past have this kind of excitement around their memories of this game. And so I was getting my expectations raised by these people coming in and saying, you're really going to love this. You love turn-based RPGs. This is just an extension of a genre that you're already in love with. Oh my. The music's great. <laughs> All of these things. And so I came into it thinking, huh, this is going to be good, you know, and I had heard a lot about the second game, like you said, having issues with the localization, mm -hmm. but good Lord, I felt like this one also really struggled mm -hmm. with conveying any semblance of coherence <laughs> a lot of the time to put it lightly, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but my expectations were definitely 
a lot higher than I think they should have been. And I've honestly, just as somebody who's exploring retro games as an adult, I find I run into this a lot where I'm coming in really hoping and wishing that something's going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. And then having myself cut off at the knees and thinking, what the heck have I gotten myself into with this? (laughs) That is very much a Breath of Fire 1 kind of answer to my mind. Mm. (laughs) Um, It's it's tough when people say, hey, you know, you like you like this genre. You like turn based RPGs, which you do then. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, but to foist, and I'm going to say foist, to foist Breath of Fire 1 onto somebody and saying, oh, because you love Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest or Fantasy Star or whatever, that you're going to love Breath of Fire 1 is uh, a little rough, I think. Um, this is a game that I think of as very rough around the edges. Um, yeah, you think that the localization is bad in this one. What do you see the second one? Uh, oh, no. <laughs> but, uh... And all I remember of Breath of Fire 1, uh, having played through it a couple of times, is it's just really vague. Um, it's easy to get lost in. It's easy to not know where you're supposed to go. Uh, things kind of just happen without much direction. Um, I found it to be that kind of amorphous experience. Um, but there's a question here from Retro Game Brews. I've never been a huge fan of Capcom's interpretation of the RPG genre. They make mainly mediocre games with standard storylines. This game to me is a step in the right direction and leads to much better games in the series later on. My ask is, why should I give it another shot? Would you, HG, recommend this game to somebody? Honestly, no. Um, I say this Lightly, of course, because it would depend on what else they have the option of playing. Mm -hmm. You know, if I look at something like the whole Super Nintendo RPG library, I think to myself, would Breath of Fire even be close to something that I would recommend is something to be prioritized? Absolutely not. But for somebody that's looking to experience a foundational game at the beginning of a franchise, you're looking for those roots to see where a great a game series has kind of grown up and out of. I'd say absolutely in that case. And I mean, at the end of the day, Breath of Fire, it's not a bad game. Mm-hmm. It's just got a lot of things that are not as refined or good as other games that came after it, or even in some cases before it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really geared toward people that want to explore the series or even just wanting a bare bones RPG that you could play through with a walkthrough or a guide as well. Cause I think you'd really need to streamline the experience playing it blind. I feel with no help at all would be really, really tough. And I don't feel like a lot of people would have the patience to really work through it at this point. Hmm. And do you think uh, that we were able to do blind run-throughs on games like this when we were younger more easily than as adults now? I honestly don't feel like it's the case. I know in my experience, I didn't finish a lot of games when I was a kid, and maybe I'm Mm -hmm. just speaking for myself. I had a very small number of games growing up, nothing in even close to a turn-based RPG of substantial length, but I didn't actually finish a lot of story-based games easily. I can remember playing things like turn-based, not turn-based, sorry, but um, point-and-click adventure games, Mm -hmm. like 
Curse of Monkey Island or King's Quest VI or Fable, the 1996 version from PC, for example. I played those games for years. I never made it to the end until the internet rolled around or until I begged my parents enough to get their hands on something like a hint book. I was never allowed to call into any hotlines, but I was never the type who was able to get through my games. And that's maybe, like I say, exclusive to me, but I don't know that a lot of people would have made it through Breath of Fire as a kid, unless you just had all the time in the world back then. If it was your only game, you know, and you're wandering around looking for the next step, maybe. But I didn't spend that much time dedicated to specific games, I guess. Mm. So as a kid, I kind of had, um, I also didn't have a ton of games. Uh, I remember that much. Um, but I had games that would kind of come and go, like I would you know, pick up, um, what is it, Knights of the Round or Bonkers uh, for Super Nintendo and play it for a little while and then pawn it off and get something else um, or rent it, you know. But uh, I did have a kind of a core collection of story-based uh, RPGs on the Super Nintendo that I really fell in love with. And it must have been that I just had a ridiculous amount of time comparatively uh, to be able to blind run through some of these games. Like, to, to me now, I would never blind run through Breath of Fire 1. Like, it would just take forever. Uh, did you use some kind of walkthrough or, or guide or, or what have you for this? I didn't, but I mostly pulled on knowledge from live streaming from the people that were chatting with me. So if I got oh. stuck on something... I'm depending on the knowledge of people that are invested in the game or who have played it and still have a running knowledge of what they did 20 years ago or people to rely on to go look something up for me. And that was actually, it, I find that it makes for a good community experience. It's like we're all experiencing it together a little bit more that way. Um, I found just in the nature of Breath of Fire itself and in terms of its story it felt very disjointed so i was mm -hmm. often left scratching my beard about where to go next thinking what is the next step because it was never clearly defined so i did lean very heavily on people that were present during those live stream sessions and they were more than happy to help they want to see the game move forward but they also have enough respect for streamers to kind of let let you figure it out on your own if you want that too so yeah no official guide yeah. That's super cool. So no like backseat driving kind of a thing, but kind of uh, a, a few helpful hints and guides here and there. Uh, that's definitely something that I think is needed with this game. I completely agree. The disjointed um, way that it presents its story and not really understanding. For me, it was a lot of not really understanding where to go or what to do. Uh, it's a fairly linear game, but... Uh, my goodness, I spent a lot of time just wandering around. Um, but uh, what do you think about the music? Do you have any thoughts on the music in this one? I thought the music was really good. I found myself kind of humming along to things while I was playing through, but I didn't really feel like the music was overly memorable. Mm -hmm. Coming away from it now, like I, I'm pretty much maybe a month or two out from having finished up that game for the first time. And if you asked me to, I guess, do a rendition of any of the tunes in that game, 
I couldn't even tell you what the battle theme is. Nothing okay. really sunk into my soul on this one, unfortunately. And it's sad because, you know, I played something like Final Fantasy VI two years ago, and I could tell you and hub along to about a billion songs from that game because they're I don't know what what would make that really different for me, but Breath of Fire in so many ways just didn't cut it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think what we're gonna kind of come away with uh, through this podcast is that Breath of Fire is kind of a middling kind of experience. Uh, there's a lot of blandness and and things like that. So it's like the music, exactly like what what you said, the music is not terrible um but it's not fantastic at the same time it, to my mind and i just re-listened to the soundtrack again today as i typically do for the games that we're going to talk about on this show the day that we record uh and i was struck that it sounds kind of gothic at some points there's uh, a lot of um what i would associate with castlevania or ghosts and goblins in it um there's harpsichords and things like that but beyond that you kind of just have very stereotypical uh adventure music you know like if you were to ask somebody hey write me some adventure music for this you know adventure game and this is kind of the music that you would think would occur in it uh and definitely comparing it to you know umatsu final fantasy 6 is yeah night and day Final Fantasy VI has got some great music. Absolutely. I think I, if I had to pick a favorite from Final Fantasy VI, it would be the spinach rag, which is what plays <laughs> yes. in the auction house. That tune was stuck in my head for weeks. I could not stop thinking about it. It's so great. That's such a good, such a good track. Um, mm -hmm. One I tried to learn on piano when I was trying to get some ragtime down, but ragtime's fun, but it's not easy to play. Uh, a couple words here on comparing versions. Um, we did get a question from uh, Teacher Bloke eighty five, who asked, uh, are, "Are there any major differences between the Super Nintendo and Game Boy Advance versions of the game?" I have not played the Game Boy Advance versions of the game. Uh, neither have you, HG, right? No, I have yeah. not. I'm sure that's not something you'd rush toward at this point. <laughs> No, not with open arms anyway, not unless <laughs> it was kind of thrust at me, but. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to rely on Retro Gift Monster, who responded. They fixed the translation a bit on the Game Boy Advance, added a run button, and made a few other small improvements. Um, really easy to think in terms of how they could improve this. You know, fixing some of the things in the inventory, but we'll get to that here in another minute. Another part of uh teacher bloke 85's question was total magazine here in the uk gave the first breath of fire a review score of 55 percent how would you respond to this review he shared a picture that says breath of fire 55 percent and from the reviewer maybe i've been a bit harsh it's as good as a purely stats based rpg can get the problem is that they never get any good as far as I'm concerned. What do you think about that? I think it's a little harsh. You know, the reviewer kind of called that out all on their own. Uh -huh. I feel like at the time, at least of its release, Breath of Fire might have felt a lot more special. I'm not sure when this particular review would have come out. If it's recent, 100% agree. 55%, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit on the low side. I would probably put it a little higher than a 55 
But for the time, it was definitely a beautiful game. It had a lot going for it. I don't know. I feel maybe like this person had it out. Maybe they just did not like this type of style of game. They kind of get that from their their explanation there, right? Like, this is as good as it gets for that kind of game. That's the part where I think I disagree most uh, mm-hmm. with that particular phrasing. Uh, it's hard to imagine that this is the best that it gets for uh, this kind of game. Well, I mean, you've got Breath of Fire 2, which to my mind is a much better game, um, despite having localization issues as well. Uh, I actually went and looked it up. Uh, I did review Breath of Fire 1 back in uh, 2017, March 20th. Uh, and my aggregated score at the end of everything was a 5.0. So it actually wasn't too far off from this mm. person, uh, definitely on the low side, but I treat five on my site as average. And to my mind, um, Breath of Fire 1 is a pretty average uh, game, maybe even below average. I don't know. It's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Everybody kind of has their own perspective on the numbers of reviewing and and so on and so forth but uh retro gift monster did respond to say honestly 55 is tough but not unfair the first game has a lot of issues nostalgia has been kind nostalgia (laughs) it's always tough to get over nostalgia Mm -hmm. um somebody else wskosc responded as a critic myself i'd respond by saying it's a valid verdict uh and again i think that the number is pretty fair, but the the purely stats based RPG them being at this being as good as it can get for that is a little iffy. So let's see. There's uh, some comparisons to other contemporary JRPGs. Crits uh, McCrits asked a question. In my Nintendo Power Magazine days, these games always caught my attention, but never enough to buy them over JRPGs like Final Fantasy. Chrono Trigger, God bless Chrono Trigger, and Lufia. How did the Breath of Fire series compare? So we touched a little bit on uh, comparing the music to uh, Final Fantasy VI, um, but just briefly, what are some other kind of comparisons that you would make between Breath of Fire One and other contemporary JRPGs that you've played? Well, Final Fantasy IV comes to mind as well. Um, I'm trying to think of other, I haven't played a ton of 16-bit turn-based RPGs. I played things a little further in the future, like Suikoden 1, for example. Uh, They're probably only separated by a couple years, though, right? Yeah, it, it's very true. Um, I don't know, I, I feel like Breath of Fire compared to pretty much every other turn-based RPG I've played is very, very faulted in a lot of ways and even going earlier like back to the 8-bit generation i've played a lot of very poorly translated kind of obtuse games where you're struggling just to even know half the time what's happening in a transaction with another character and i like that better than breath of fire Mm. i'm just gonna frame it that way um in terms of the greats like the final fantasy games or chrono trigger Something even like, um, you mentioned the Lufia series, which I I have not played any games of. Those games have, I guess, characters that are good. They are people that you can care about. And the story is there. I think 
that was the fundamental problem that I had with Breath of Fire compared to some of these other games. It didn't have any of that. Mm. I didn't care about any of these these characters in this game whatsoever. And that's just one tiny facet for me. But when you can't even care about the people in the game, there's a problem, I guess, putting the rest of those pieces together. Everything kind of falls apart. I mm-hmm. feel like characters are often the glue that holds everything else together. Along that storyline, of course, it has to be an intact thread that runs through. Mm-hmm. Breath of Fire definitely didn't have that. You look at something like Chrono Trigger or Final Fantasy four or six, night and day in terms of how everything was kind of built together to be a whole unit. Right. Well, you mentioned mm-hmm. Final Fantasy four and looking at it here, that was released in 1991 couple of years before Breath of Fire. Uh, and the characters in Final Fantasy IV are definitely much more fleshed out. You can see how they have arcs. Uh, you can see how they're developed. Cecil, of course, has you know the famous uh, transformation that he goes through. Um, but comparatively, then, definitely, the characters in Breath of Fire um, are very flat. I kind of think of it almost as like you're reading like a mythology or something um, where you don't get a ton of uh, development of the characters. The characters are almost kind of static. Obviously some, some mythologies Um, characters are almost kind of static, Uh, but you know, they're, they exemplify the, the ideals that they do to the highest extent that they do. Um, And in kind of looking back over breath of fire, I could really only think of one thing that I thought was emotional. And I thought I remembered it from the first time I played it. Um, But it was one emotional kind of moment or one thing that that builds up in the game. And it's when um, you deal with the fate of Ryu's, um, what was it, his sister, Sarah. Yeah, yeah. And I remember the first time that I I got through that. And by the way, every Mage Cast is a spoilers podcast. So if you're worried about spoilers, I'm about to talk about some right now. So, uh, <laughs> but I remember back in the day when uh, Sarah is controlled by Jade, I think it was, and um, steals the keys that you need from you, and then is controlled by him, and you have to actually kill her in order to break the spell. Um, and she tells you it's not your fault. When I first played this game, I felt like she was telling little kid me it's not your fault. And so that kind of resonated with me. But there's literally nothing else in this game <laughs> that even comes close to that one moment of emotion. Uh, which is kind of crazy because it's not a super short game by any means. Well, and and that's interesting because I agree. You know, the story opens with that whole thing that you just mentioned being set up right sarah faces off with jade she gets captured Mm -hmm. you don't really hear from her for a long time and then obviously that all comes comes to a head in the way that you've described they tried a lot of the way through though they tried to invoke emotion around other characters and i have found how how do i put that it's they bring in a character Mm -hmm. that you don't know You meet them for maybe 20 minutes and then they expect you to have this big heartfelt reaction 
to their loss or them dying or something happening. One thing I can think of in particular was the robot that you end up infiltrating at one point. You have to go into inside this robot and fix it because it's been taken over and has destroyed an entire town, like killed people and is now this murderous robot. And the robot, to save the world from its own destructive forces, has a moment of sentience and decides to kill itself. And I remember thinking, this is a sad storyline, but I'm not feeling sad right now. If anything, <laughs> I'm just thinking, what are they doing with this? It just seemed so random. I, I felt the same kinds of things when I played through Illusion of Gaia. Hmm. And that was a game that was also very, very highly praised to me. And that game goes through so many different topics. It whips you back and forth between these emotions. That's kind of exactly what I went through in these certain stages of Breath of Fire as well, where there was almost like a prediction made by people writing the story and how you would feel mm -hmm. and setting you up to feel that way, but without giving you all the things that you'd need to get to that conclusion yourself. You know, like in a, in a movie, you have the music and the ambience and, you know, the lines and the, the writing, everything kind of comes together to make a moment a moment. In Breath of Fire, it's just a sad robot throwing itself into a lava pit to make a bridge for you. It's, it's, <laughs> it's kind of like, it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. I don't know. I, I had a really hard time getting on the level I feel that the people that did the writing for this game intended me to, unless, of course, it was lost in translation. Who can say what the intentions actually were for the English-speaking audience and what we missed out on just based on any disconnect there from a translation or a localization effort that might have gone awry? Who hmm. can say? Yeah. A couple of things come to mind, and I, I want to get your thoughts on these most definitely. Uh, so one possibility, like you mentioned, is it's a localization issue. Um, this is something that I found uh, particularly applicable to Secret of Mana. Secret of Mana, of course, is this beloved uh, Super Nintendo action RPG, and rightfully so. Uh, but I completed it for the first time after maybe six or seven attempts uh, to get all the way through it fairly recently. And so I get to the end, and I just found that uh, it was, again, it was disjointed uh, in terms of the story. Um, the emotional payoffs weren't there um, and all these things. And in, do in doing research on the game, I found that in localization, uh, something like almost a third of the story content had to be cut out of the the localized version of the game because the English language took up more space than Japanese. So, uh, and they, you know, in the horror stories of the time, and they gave the translator, like, you know, half a day to finish it or something ridiculous. Um, so that's one possibility um, with Breath of Fire is that maybe there's things that they pulled out. Maybe, you know, there's there's things that are just lost in translation. Um, the other thing is I think that there's a difference between drama and melodrama. Uh, melodrama <laughs> is kind of the, you know, overdramatic, um, overacted, excessively um, sentimental, excessively messy uh, in a way. Uh, now there's a place for melodrama, I think. 
But when, as you were describing the fate of this suicidal robot, uh, I was just thinking, man, that sounds melodramatic. Very much so. I think that you've nailed it. Another part of it, I think, is the the lack of the ability to relate. I can't relate to a robot that's single-handedly wiped out a bunch of people's lives. <laughs> you can't? No? I can't. <laughs> Surprise, right? But I can definitely relate to someone like Ryu who's looking at his sister as he has to deal a killing blow mm-hmm. and losing a family member. There's something a lot more, not to say human versus robots, obviously, but a lot more human about that event. You can definitely reach down in the vestiges of your life and feel something based on what you've personally experienced in those non-melodramatic moments that are just dramatic. Mm. I think you've really hit that on the head there for sure. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, that just came out of nowhere. So we're going to, we're going to patent it and say that's the case. Um, <laughs> I think that one thing that, that Breath of Fire has working against it as far as identifying with its characters is it uses these uh, anthropomorphic uh, animal characters. Um, and I think that presents at least some kind of subtle subconscious barrier um, that, you know, like how, how can I relate to this fish man that like, is, I've never <laughs> been a goldfish. I don't know. I've never even been a human goldfish. I don't know. Um, but sometimes too, they just don't allow enough space in the game for you to become familiar with the characters and their plight and, understand what it's like and identify with that so that again the robot syndrome when that happens uh you're kind of at a loss as to what to feel and you're, you 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 can like you say you could say it's sad but you didn't feel any of those feelings attached to it mhm mhm and i do agree with the the animal aspect of it and just how weird some things in breath of fire get in even some of the fusions that can happen with different <laughs> characters later on. But one thing I really found that was problematic for me was that a lot of the characters in this game didn't come in with cause. If you play a mm. lot of other games, everybody that joins a party is typically affected in some way by the goings on in the world. And that's not to say that some characters here are not affected and don't have a cause to take up to join your cause. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them are just conveniently along for the ride or for the wrong reasons. And I couldn't imagine just abandoning my real life to go with a band of people off on an adventure and just just do that without having some conviction. And I feel like a lot of the characters in this game don't have that conviction. You look at parties from other games, again, Chrono Trigger, stuff like Final Fantasy VI, Every single person in those games is affected in some way by the goings on in their lives. And when they join this cause to go ahead and try to make a difference in their world or to overcome evil or whatever happens to be going on in these games, there's a lot more, I guess, how do I put that? There's a lot more, I want to say conviction, but I want a different word for conviction in these people to get them to to be driven to make the change that they want to see breath of fire. I don't find had a lot of that at all. Mm. Maybe Ryu as the main character, but not really very many others along the way. Yeah. No, I I definitely agree with that. So yeah, you mentioned Ryu, Ryu and Nina, uh, very much the main characters in this. Uh, and it seems like as you go down the list of playable characters, 
you kind of get more and more distance from them in terms of your emotional resonance with them. Um, so Ryu, Nina, Bo is kind of this Wolfman character. Um, and I remember feeling a little bit of things for him. I think it was just because he joined so early. Um, but then you get into Karn and Gobi is the fish man that I had like, I don't think I ever used him in my party unless I had to. <laughs> um, Ox, I was just like, he, like, what is your character? He's just, he's an ox. Like, and that's also his name. Super exciting. Uh, <laughs> Mogu, which is like this little mole man. And then there's Blue or uh, Dace is the character uh, as we come to know um, through the rest of the the series. Um, but did you have of these playable characters, uh, did you have any any particular favorite, anybody that you hated the most? I can tell you both of those things. Awesome. <laughs> Nina, hands down, was my favorite. Oh, cool. Just, I really have a tendency to side with healers in games. Obviously, that's her primary role. And she just has such a progression arc through the game. I remember when she first entered my party, she was really weak compared to Ryu. And I had to spend a lot of time grinding just to get her up to speed. Mm -hmm. And there was a certain item that you could use as an offensive attack that I kept using in lieu of her normal attack because she was just so weak. And by the end of the game, she was pretty much the glue holding everything together. Without Nina, my party would have been wiped over and over again just because of how unpredictably difficult some encounters could be or just with the encounter rate even. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Nina was definitely who was holding it all together. Hmm. In terms of my most hated Hands down, 100%, no questions asked, it's Gobi. I can't handle his character. He's a jerk. He's rude. He's useless. I remember I got him in my party, and then your party gets separated at that time, so you're just with Gobi walking around underwater, trying to find this town, again, wandering aimlessly, not knowing where to go, what to do, and I died. That was one of the first times in the game that I died, and it was all Gobi's fault. It took... <laughs> forever to get him up to a level where I felt comfortable being out and about with just him. And that whole part of the game where you first get him is really confusing. You got to find these gills so that other people can get in the water with you because obviously you're a fish when you play as Gobi. You can breathe just fine, but nobody else can. So it's this whole rigmarole. And that, that's when I feel like the game really started to unravel a little bit mm -hmm. for me in terms of my enjoyment of it and Gobi was really at the center of that just being Gobi yeah it was awful <laughs> at the center of of our hate for Breath of Fire is Gobi just yeah nightmarish uh, I that whole part that you've just described brought back all these flashbacks um, of me <laughs> being bored with this game um, well, the part that I get bored at is that part when you're doing the whole underwater thing. Uh, but yeah, he's just such an unlikable character from gameplay standpoints, from storyline standpoints as a character. Um, but was really cool. Did you see the cameos from other Capcom titles in this game? I did see Arthur maybe in a picture. Yeah. He was like in a picture somewhere and I had a, a viewer who was watching one of my streams say to me, hey, I think that's Arthur. I wouldn't have noticed it otherwise. But yeah, I, I did catch that. I didn't catch anything else, though. So there is a uh, 
a uh, Chun-Li cameo. Um, it's kind of one of those ridiculous, like you can't stumble into it. There's somebody in the town of, I think it was Bleak, uh, that asks you if um, a couple of questions you have to say like, yes, no, yes, no, in a certain order. And then it shows you Chun-Li doing like her kicks in a room all by herself with a little bit of text and that's it. So I did not stumble into that randomly when I was a kid, but I read it in like a magazine or something as a kid. And I was like, oh, cool. And then I got it and saw the scene. I was like, oh, all right, that's it. That's all you huh. get. <laughs> I missed that entirely. I had no idea that that was even a part of the game. So news to me. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Now, it's, like I said, it's one of those super like obscure, no way to, to bumble into it on accident. Uh, but the characters were designed by uh, Keiji Inafune, who is famous for doing the uh, Mega Man character designs uh, in the Mega Man series. So I think that kind of reflects on a lot of the character designs in this game, um, especially in, in the concept art. Um, but I also jotted down here bosses, enemies, that sort of thing. I really could only remember two, three off the top of my head. And reading back through, I was like, yeah, a lot of these don't seem at all important. <laughs> But I remember hating Jade um, a lot while playing this game, uh, which isn't too surprising. In Japan, his name is Judas, so he's supposed to be that kind of a character. Right. Yeah, I feel like he was probably the most fleshed out in terms of people that you would interact with and and see. Mm -hmm. But even then, there's really not a lot of him throughout the game. You see him in the beginning, maybe partway toward the end. You know, that's about it. I don't know. I feel like a lot of these enemies were very kind of underutilized. Yeah. Maybe too archetypal. Just this is this is like that you can know what kind of enemy it's going to be just by seeing them for the first time. Like the Dark Dragon Emperor Zog. Kneel before Zog. Like this guy is just, yeah, you, you get what kind of a character he is. Right from the get-go. You don't need any backstory. It's just he's a fairy tale monster. Um, the final boss, Tyr or Tyre, however you want to say it, um, does end up being massively important um, for the series as a whole, uh, and which we'll talk about the series in a little bit. A couple questions coming up. But this is a question here from Mr. Thou who said, uh, my love for this game is so great that I dressed up as Ryu in third grade in 1993. That's pretty crazy. That's cool. <laughs> I remember that <laughs> can of blue hairspray that my mom emptied on my long early 90s child mullet. This story just gets better and better. I even still have the red cape she made for me somewhere. My next tattoo will also be Breath of Fire related. But hey, I'll ask a question for once. How do you feel about the cliche in many JRPGs where the second in command baddie is always the one with the true thirst for power, while the emperor is usually just some clueless donkey inevitably betrayed by his right hand man? And that's kind of what we see here. That's very true. The one that I was thinking of that's most applicable to that cliche is actually Final Fantasy VI. Uh, it just executes it a heck of a lot better. Uh, <laughs> you've got uh, Kefka. And I remember my, my kid brother was playing through Final Fantasy VI, and I accidentally said something like, oh, dude, just wait until you see the final, final boss battle against Kefka. And he was like, Kefka is the final boss? And I was like, ew. <laughs> 
Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's like, oh, I didn't expect that. He wasn't too bothered by it, thank goodness. But um, once you reach a certain point, you can kind of see how that cliche is coming about. The emperor is just like, yeah, I'm going to take over the world. And then it turns out that the more interesting second in command, Jade or Kefka, uh, is the one that takes over the show. Um, but as far as story uh, premise here, I'm wondering if you could kind of give us just a really brief kind of rundown of like what is going on with this game? What's kind of the the general thrust of this story um, and that sort of thing? Sure. So the synopsis generally deals with these two opposing forces in the world that they're all a part of. And there's this dragon family, dra- dragon people, essentially, humans that could turn into dragons, that ended up getting divided somewhere along the way when they were vying for the attention of this goddess, Tyr, who we've already mentioned, and she was able to grant wishes. And over time, these two opposing forces were vying so much for, I guess, wishes that they wanted granted. And there was almost this kind of turmoil between them that pushed them further and further apart. And eventually, there was the dark dragon faction that kind of came out of that whole thing who eventually drove those light dragon individuals into a hiding of sorts. Over time, I guess in the past, when this whole war was going on initially, there was a warrior who ended up locking Tyr away with six keys, and the dark dragons and light dragons continued to sort things out over time, and eventually the dark dragons were thinking they could rise up and kind of take over the world as if that was their given right. And the light dragons are now in this place of opposition, trying to prevent the re-release of Tyr in the present day. And we find ourselves with Ryu, the hero of the adventure, being one of the light dragon representatives that's tasked with preventing this release from happening to give these dark dragons the ultimate power that they've always been seeking. And then along the way, obviously, we end up with all of these other people that join up forces with us. And, and that's essentially the story. It's, it's very good versus evil mm-hmm. in the most basic sense. Mm. You know what I was thinking is that, uh, that sort of zero scenario where there's the first ceiling of the goddess tier. Uh, there's no game for that. The, the first yeah. hero to lock her away is just a story and it was just kind of mind blowing that you know Capcom fussed with a couple other. They limped on with this series after a certain point, but there's potentially still a story there at the very beginning when the goddess appears and offers to grant anything, any wishes, uh, and the start of this civil war and this the first sealing of her away. Um, just kind of, it's kind of mind blowing that they didn't do anything with that, you know. It seemed like it would have been a very good jumping off point or even a, a prequel opportunity. Yeah. After after Breath of Fire 1 had been released, given the reception that it got and given that it did go on to make another five games, a prequel even now would be interesting to see. Unless it's already been done because I haven't played the other games, but maybe it has been. Yeah. To my knowledge, know. it hasn't been done. Uh, I have mm. not played... Uh, Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter, which is Breath of Fire 5, I think. And then uh, there's Breath of Fire 6, which is like a mobile game or something like that. 
that okay. people hate. So <laughs> I've not played those <laughs> two, but I've played Breath of Fire 1 through 4 multiple times each. So any kind of uh, ideas on themes that, that come out of this? We've we've kind of expressed that this is a very basic kind of good versus evil story. But did you did you walk away with any kind of core themes? No. <laughs> That's an I, honest I, I answer. Honest, yeah, I, I didn't really take a lot away from the story. It didn't it didn't really resonate with me very much in, in any way. And apart from the light versus dark opposition, which you see a lot anyway, mm. there was nothing really unique to it, at least not in my opinion. And and I, I come with full disclosure in the story fell apart for me very quickly into the game. I had a really hard time keeping track of what the goal even was. Mm. Like when I went to go prepare for this chat, I really had to sit down <laughs> and actually go back over the intro scene, read the manual, read some Nintendo Power, do all of these things just to even know what the story was about to begin with, because it was just completely lost along the way mm -hmm. with all of these little, I guess, it's almost like make work projects, I'll put it as, throughout the story that just totally detracted from the main main thing. Right. But That's a definitely a big stumbling point. And I think that uh, kind of sort of the main thrust uh, of the story is you're trying to grab these keys before the emperor can. But because there's no... Uh, real pacing because there's no um, tension there uh, that it feels like you have to get there before he does uh, because you're doing all these other things I think that 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 as a narrative device does not work here um, there's no tension there's no sense of urgency it's just you reach another town and something bad's happening and you got to fix it because you just walked into town and you're the only person that can fix things evidently in this universe. Um, so the one theme that I can think of uh, is something that I've referred to f before from this. Um, and it's a real basic theme idea, which is that you've got all these different peoples um, from all these different races and clans or whatever they're called tribes coming together and doing one singular thing. Uh, and that's obviously not unique to Breath of Fire. It's something that we see in other RPGs and other JRPGs rather as well. Um, but this idea of people who uh, culturally are separated, ethnically are separated, racially are separate, separated, coming together to do a single thing, um, especially when the start of the story is civil war, uh, is I think at least something that's interesting, but the game doesn't really emphasize that enough, I think. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. I, I didn't well, obviously, I played through the game, so I experienced it, but it definitely, to me, didn't feel like it was anywhere near the forefront No, of what the focus was for the game. And, and that's the problem. There was not a lot of focus. Yeah. It was just kind of out of focus the entire time. So, Do you write, uh, this is kind of a question out of thin air, do you write fiction? No, I don't. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I, I have, but um, when I started writing fiction, I was young. Uh, and when I started writing fiction, it was like Breath of Fire. It was just, you know, the next scene or the next chapter would happen and be almost completely unrelated. And I would write these massive stories. I've got a, um, a thick stack of papers somewhere in my home of like a 82 chapter long story, just like well over a thousand pages, this thing. 
but it wasn't going anywhere and I had no idea how to end it, so I never did. And I imagine that with Breath of Fire, again, at the start, we, we talked about how um, Breath of Fire is the first uh, traditional role-playing game that Capcom ever made that's at their own admission. So I think that what we're seeing in Breath of Fire is really that that stretch of infancy, that, um, that unaccustomed uh, ability to try and tell a story in a new format. And so I think that you're definitely seeing something that's valuable in that it's the platform for the series to develop, but it itself is very rudimentary. Absolutely. And that, so that kind of brings us neatly to the series as a whole couple questions here. I don't want to dwell too long on it because um, I want to, you know, get your input. Um, and you, you've mentioned you haven't played uh, the other games yet. Uh, what we'll start off with a question for yourself though. Uh, what inkling do you have to play any more of the breath of fire series after breath of fire one? I have a pretty big urge to continue with it. Oh, good. Only because I have the attitude of, if this is as bad as it gets, looking at Breath of Fire 1, the others can only bring more to the table and kind of refine that experience into something a little bit better. So I'm actually looking forward to playing the other ones in the series, reluctantly, of course, Breath of Fire 2 because of the fabled localization issues. But if I can say one thing, Breath of Fire 3 was touted as one of the very best and most favorite of games of many people that I encountered Mm. while playing Breath of Fire 1 on stream. People would come in and say, hey, I love this series. It was never, hey, I love Breath of Fire 1, save for a few. (laughs) But I love this series. 3 is the absolute best game. It's one of my very favorites. Please play that sometime. That's awesome. And that sentiment to me means a lot. Although, as I said earlier, my expectations always get pushed higher and higher. So I come in a little bit skeptically hmm. to these other games, of course, but hoping at least that what I've heard is true. If this is the baseline, it can only get better from there. Hmm. Well, I'll, all I'll say on that is Breath of Fire 3 is when the series hits its stride. They had localiz- localization down at that point for the most part. Um, and it's just a great, solid, still very traditional uh, RPG experience without getting too crazy in either direction. Um, but it's, I think Breath of the Fire 3 is probably objectively the best, uh, as in needing the least improvements uh, in this series. But uh, I'm about to answer this question by Duct Tape Plays, who said, Man, do I love that series. Which one is your favorite? Uh, so I just said that Breath of Fire 3 is, in my opinion, the best, but. Breath of Fire 2 is actually my favorite. Breath of Fire 2, despite its uh, its its issues, is a game that I played a lot of as a kid. So it's just a favorite because I have so many memories attached to it. Um, I played it at a friend's house. It's one of the games that helped me fall in love with JRPGs in the first place. Um, I've played it to death more times than any, any other game in the series. So... Uh, so there is that HG that you can take with you for your journey into Breath of Fire 2. Um, I do think it's better than Breath of Fire, but it's not Breath of Fire 3 quite yet. Right on. I appreciate that sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
this is from Sanity Crypto, who said, I've actually never played a Breath of Fire game, so if I were to jump into the series, where would be the the best place to start? Uh, this kind of raised a, a great discussion about, um, you know, how the games are connected. Um, obviously, you, you, you've played just this first one, so I don't want to say anything here that's going to kind of spoil so much of the other games. Um, but there, the three games uh, minus four, four kind of has these these really um, vague connections to the previous game. But the first three games I kind of think of as the Goddess Trilogy. So you, you've got a lot of things that are really kind of still centered, even in the background around Tyr. Um, you've got, uh, this is, you know, no mystery, but there's the descendants of Ryu and Nina, um, the sorcerer uh, Blue or Dace. Um, the other recurring features are the Dragon Clan, the Dragon God. Um, what leads me to think that they're linearly connected and in chronological order is that in Breath of Fire 1, you see kind of dragon powers at their height. There's a slow degradation of dragon powers and towards the the end uh the latter end of the series so i think breath of fire comes first breath of fire 2 is kind of this parenthetical uh game in terms of story um but it does fit in there um and then there's uh breath of fire 3 which actually opens with this um scrolling mural that depicts the final fight in breath of fire 1 uh, and then Breath of Fire 4 introduces this concept of other worlds and being summoned from other worlds and that sort of thing. So it's not like Final Fantasy in which each game is meant to be standalone. Um, every game in the series, at least one through four, I think, um, has some some fairly concrete connections. Um, but there's vast distances of time between them. So that's always been something that's most interesting to me. But to come back and answer Sanity Crypto's question, what would be the best place to start? I would say start with one. Fully knowing what one is. If you don't want to put yourself through Breath of Fire 1, just read a story breakdown or something like that, or listen to this podcast, and then play Breath of Fire 2. Um, so there's that, all that. Uh, this is from... Uh, Live Not Chris, who said, should Capcom put more effort into bringing the title back? Bringing back Breath of Fire. Um, did you, now, I know we talked earlier, HG, about uh, how much time you spent uh, spend playing retro games and enjoying retro games. Um, it's interesting when you kind of see this uh, retro franchise have a new entry all of a sudden. Um, and the game that comes to my mind is Mega Man 11. Is that one that you were able to play? I have admittedly not even played the older games in the series yet. <laughs> um, I own a few Mega Man games, but I have never managed to make it through them. So Mega Man 11, I own. It's still in the plastic wrap. Okay. Unfortunately, I haven't gotten around <laughs> well, to it. Well, you can't play yet. everything. That's the thing, right? You know, there's plenty of people to be like, you've never played Mega Man? Gasp. But honestly can't play everything i've never played a, a whole bunch of franchises i've never played dragon quest i'm trying to remedy that but never played it uh mm. but with Mega Man 11 i think it was a move of capcom to kind of bring back the classic series 
uh, and it's shocking that they would release a new game in the classic series. So uh, my hope is that Capcom would release a Breath of Fire 7 um, and maybe make it a prequel, you know, about that uh, that Zero story that we talked about, the first sealing of the goddess, or make it continue on after Breath of Fire, um, four or five or six, however those continue the story, if they do at all. But I would be excited to see another Breath of Fire game. So here's a comment from Scott Spar. I'm actually playing through the original Breath of Fire now. I'd played most of two on my Wii anyway early on. That part when you have to sneak into the town at night and then avoid the soldiers. I found it to be ahead of its time for a JRPG. There's my comment. What do you think? Now, I think he's talking about the second game, which is uh, fa fairly traditional, but it has some great ideas. But Breath of Fire, I think we would probably both agree, is not ahead of its time. No, I don't think it was. In fact, I think it took a lot of steps backwards from other games that even came before it in just little quality of life things, which made it a lot more difficult to enjoy coming into something that looked great and sounded great, but just fundamentally to play it was lacking in a lot of the things that I would expect in an RPG. Mm. And something so we talked about the music a little bit, but just to mention there, the, the graphics that is important. Um, it's something worth mentioning. Uh, I think the graphics are, are pretty decent on this. Um, it definitely has the some great character sprites, some great monster sprites, and so on and so forth. But getting into kind of pros and cons and what your major beefs were with this game beyond the story that we talked about. Um, what are what? Let's let's start with a positive. What's like a pro of Breath of Fire? What's like one good thing about Breath of Fire? Well, I guess the thing I really found myself liking the most, just in terms of gameplay and ease of play was auto battle yes that was something i really enjoyed a lot of menu-based rpgs whether they're active time or um in wait mode where you're waiting for your opponent and kind of going back and forth in a lot more of a controlled way auto battle just made things easy breath of fire was not one of those games that started eliminating really easy battles from your repertoire like some games like Earthbound, you would automatically win, get your experience, and move on. With this one, 100% no, you were fighting slimes that you fought from the first moment you started right up until the last part of the game if you revisited those areas. So auto battle, auto battle for me was perfect. Hit that button, everybody attacks, you don't have to think too much, and that was a feature I really appreciated. I hadn't really seen that in a lot of other games from that generation, I saw it a lot in Suikoden, which I also appreciated there. And I didn't really use Suikoden's whole battling system as much as I probably should have in terms of characters being able to pair up and using combined efforts with characters that have some relation to one another in that game. Breath of Fire, that wasn't even an option anyway. Mm. So auto battle for me was perfect. I loved that. Uh, you can look forward to that in the sequel, which also has uh, auto battle. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I did not own this game with a manual back in the day. So um, another issue here, and I guess I'll raise this, and this will be a con that we can talk about now, um, is while you had auto battle, 
in the menu, the battle menu, it just says AB, which I had no idea what that was. And I remember the first time I decided to click on it, and I was horrified that I couldn't control my characters anymore, and I didn't know how to make it stop. <laughs> so uh, one of the things that's difficult with this game is the abbreviations. I think that's an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's an understatement. It's like the purest form of evil incarnate in RPGs in the entire history of time, as far as I'm concerned. It's terrible. Now, <laughs> it's funny because, so like you could... You could kind of get a general idea like, you know, okay, if there's a weapon and it's you know, iron SD or iron SWD even better, then you're like, oh, it's a sword. Cool. But when you've got things like TMHT, you're like, what on earth is this? What do I do with it? Like, I remember opening up treasure chests and just being like, nah, I'm never going to use that. I have no idea what it does. Just, and there's no explanation. Oh, my favorite was the... B-S-T-N. Like, what's a bee stain? That's what I kept saying in my head. What's a, what's a bee stain? And then there's all of these possibilities that come out of it. Sure enough, it's just a bolt stone. How am I supposed to know that? Yeah. The manual does nothing to help you. Zero things to help you break down any inventory. And even in-game, if you go into your menu and open up your items and you go over a lot of them, it just says, can be used in battle. Thanks, game. Yeah, that's not Great. an explanation. I'll, well, and you don't even know, I don't know, on a blind playthrough, you you have no idea if you're going to get another one. So it's not like I'm just going to go start lobbing everything in my inventory at enemies in case they're super powerful or really good. And then I just don't get another one down the line. I'm, I'm a hoarder when I play games. Yeah. I'm not a type to just start launching things out there. I will hold on to everything until the last possible second. And I'll usually finish the game with everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. Me too. That's why, yeah, my, my inventory is full of mega elixirs by the last boss fight. I'm like, well, I mean, I guess I might as well use them now. Uh, or like in uh, Final Fantasies when you have the ninja that can throw uh, items. But I'm never using that. <laughs> never. Well, <laughs> I'm it, keeping all my weapons. Well, And you just never know. And even yeah. when people are like, oh, it's the final boss, go unleash it all. I'm skeptical. I'm thinking, I don't believe you. There's probably 10 more forms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> How do you knows? ever know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, uh, let's see. Well, what's, what's, a, what's another one here that you want to mention, pro or con? Maybe the, can we talk about the field skills? Sure. I think that's an interesting element. Yeah, it was interesting, but I found a lot of it was really obtuse. And I'm not really sure mm -hmm. if you would agree, but I feel like nothing, like, like everything else in this game, nothing in relation to that was very well executed or explained. Mm -hmm. And in particular, I had a really hard time. Obviously, I don't like Gobi at all, but Gobi's special form, I guess, you only use maybe one time to get across a chasm underwater yeah. and then never yeah. again but even more annoying than that was bows because with bow if you put him at the front of your party on the overworld you can suddenly walk through forests that was really annoying <laughs> especially <laughs> later on when you could fuse him with karn so he's fused but you want to go through a forest 
So you'd have to either put the Karn character at the front, but not all Karn's fusions could go through the forest. Only some of them could. So it was just obnoxious to have to unfuse everybody or yeah, fuse to yeah. a different form. It was just so ridiculous. That's tripping over its own feet. Yes. And, and just walking around. If you can't walk around in a game without any trouble, there's a problem. Yeah. Uh, the field skills, yeah, I think are another example of... A, a good idea, but it's just very at a, at a rudimentary stage. Um, if you look at Breath of Fire 2, they do bring back field skills, but I think they're much more useful. Um, the game doesn't have to give you these elaborate explanations on them. because It's like, okay, this is a mode of transport, or this is like an attack type um, special. But yeah, they're much less limited. Like, I remember being angry at Gobi that I could only use his special ability like that one time and just be like, well, no, what am I even going to do with you? Stuck with you. <laughs> uh, the field skills, but definitely. Um, inventory management is something that pissed me off in this game. Uh, the fact that you can't stack certain items and you have to manually sort. Manual sorting of inventory is the very devil, I'll say. I agree wholeheartedly, 100%. I could not stand the inventory it was one thing to abbreviate everything beyond comprehension but then to also force you to physically organize things in stacks of nine what's up with yeah. stacks of nine yeah. well two osen and then what if you have a i think it was in this game right you had um an item stack of three and then you have an item stack of four and you can't stack them you mm -hmm. can't put them on top of each other if you try it just swaps them Exactly. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and it, it was just an exercise in futility. So my inventory got to be a cesspool. It didn't take yeah. long. You know, you do a couple of these towers, you you do a little bit of exploring and you have all of a sudden way too many things. You don't know what any of them do when you're going to need them on the bright side, at least at the very least, they did have the storage capacity where you could go to a town and visit the storage guy who very affectionately blew kisses at you afterward, which I thought was amazing. One oh, of my favorite yeah. parts of the game, but <laughs> you unload everything that you have in there. And then you have two dysfunctional inventories to manage because <laughs> yeah. that also had no sorting. So you're looking for this one item and is it in my regular inventory? And you can spend 10 minutes looking through reading Every item and your brain still having to catch up and fill in all of those disconnects with those ridiculous abbreviations. I couldn't stand that. It was awful. Yeah. Inventory management is one of the things that, you know, anybody who listens to this show knows that I'm very much vocal about there being definitive things in games that can be improved objectively and inventory management systems is one of those things you guys if you do not have those systems in place you have a mess just like this and it's easy to see how they fix that in future games but it's mind-blowing to me when i play a newer game and it doesn't allow for like neat inventory management mm -hmm. for example uh, I'm playing Pokemon Sword and Shield right now, and I am blown away that this game that came out in 2019 does not have a way to automatically organize your Pokédex, or I mean, sorry, not your Pokédex, but your Pokemon that you have in your PC boxes. Uh, so I'm like, okay, well, I want to make a Pokédex, but I seriously have to manually move 
Pokemon into 400 different squares because that's how many Pokemon there are in this game. That's insane. And I looked it up. I tried finding, is there some kind of like crazy um, obtuse Nintendo function? Like you got to put in a code or something silly to get to access to, you know, your sorting mechanism. Uh, but nobody knows. I mean, I looked it up and people were like, yeah, I don't know if you can sort this thing or not. And I was like, that's nuts. That's nuts. That is nuts. I would honestly rather swing the entire other way. Just limit my inventory to a few items. If you're not going right. to give me a means to organize myself, just totally limit what I can carry. I'll fix it at on my own at that point. Something like Earthbound's inventory used to make me crazy. But as I was playing Breath of Fire, I'm thinking... I would rather just have my 10 items. That's it. I'll know exactly what all of them are. I'll take the time to know Breath of Fire came and went so fast just because I couldn't be bothered. And I didn't care about so much in Breath of Fire. And it sounds terrible, but I just didn't care. I didn't care to sit down and test things to see what they were at all. I just couldn't be bothered. And most of them you you can get through the game without using anyway. You know, mm -hmm. the crucial ones are the healing ones and your marbles, if you want to use those. Exactly. But beyond that, well, it's okay. So speaking of marbles, my goodness, did you think this game had, had a, a high encounter rate? It was pretty high. I mean, I've played a lot of other games where it's higher. A lot okay. of the 8-bit generation games tend to be awful. And this this game had, I shouldn't say it's exclusively better than 8-bit games because there's some areas in this game where I felt like every step, I, literally every step I took. Yeah, some of the dungeons would be get out of battle and then you take a step and it'd be another fighter. Like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. I would leave my system on as a kid because I'm like, I gotta go. I can't, I can't finish <laughs> this dungeon. There's like a ton of random encounters. Uh, nerds in the burbs said, if memory serves, the encounter rate was ridiculous. Still a great game, though, he said. Uh, and then this is from uh, Jintatsu2, who said, oh, yeah, I've been waiting on this one for a while. This game introduced some fantastic mechanics with an amazingly diverse group of playable characters. More JRPGs need items like Marble 3. Makes for such a nice, chill speed run. And also he commented the fan base is dying for more Breath of Fire games. But the marble items, which essentially, uh, do they either limit random encounters or they stop random encounters? I can't remember. They stop them for a limited time. Okay. Uh, I abused the heck out of the marbles. <laughs> I spammed marbles. I don't blame you. I, I didn't know what they did for a long time. Someone kindly told me. And then I used the heck out of that in one of the dungeons. I think it was the rotating dungeon or something oh, yeah. where I just wanted to tear out all my hair. It was going on for way too long. And I used one of those. That in the stupid gas cave. That was a horrible I don't place. remember that. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're walking around. the rotating and one, but not the gas cave. You're trying to find your way through. And there's these little geysers in the floor that hurt you. But you don't know until you've tried to run into them. It's just an awful time. But those marble items were so handy just to get me the heck out of there. I wanted nothing to do with those places after a time. I got so frustrated. <laughs> now, because the encounter rate was so high, did you think that grinding was an issue in this game? I feel like it was at the beginning. The uh -huh. beginning when you first start out and you first get Nina, especially, like I was saying a while ago, she was so weak compared to Ryu when I picked her up and 
I just had to get her to a respectable state. But after that, I didn't feel like I really needed to do much grinding, especially as characters got into more of their special ability modes where they could, you know, use magic or use higher kinds of magic. It really started to streamline itself after a while. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I, I think I remember the earliest stages being the, the toughest. Um, but here's a comment from the one winged mage who said, I played it for the first time recently, and I'm surprised by how much fun I've been having. Not sure if I'll go back to it since I have so many other games right now, but I did enjoy my time with it. I played Breath of Fire 2 and 3 as a youngster and avoided this one because I thought it would be a much more crude experience. What surprised me the most is how far I got without any need for grinding. And then here's the caveat. Granted, I didn't really get that far, but was I was able to defeat all the bosses I came across in my first or second try. Um, he would probably find if he continued playing that the game uh, gets a little more streamlined, like you said. But bosses... What did you think about the whole second wind mechanic? I honestly thought it was exciting. It was something cool. I'd never really experienced before. And the first time it happened, I thought, You're what? <laughs> I, just, I just killed that guy. What just happened? <laughs> it was like, is my game glitching out? That was one of the thoughts that I had early. Absolutely. And, and I mean, for me, it was just more, okay, how do I end this guy? How much, how much more health? It, for me, it just really got the, the wheels turning in terms of strategy. I'm thinking, is this a different form? Do I have to change my, my strategy? Do I have to try something different? But really, it's just keep hammering down until they're dead. But I thought it was an interesting change from other games. It was annoying when yeah. my party was hanging on by a thread and the second wind would roll around, I'd be cursing under my breath thinking, great, we're going to die here. And I didn't really find I, I died at a lot of these boss encounters like we were talking about. I never felt under leveled as the mm -hmm. game went on, but there were a couple of nail biter moments, especially toward the end of the game where I wasn't too sure we were going to come out on top. Mm. And I like that they show you the boss health. Yes. And then you reach the second win stage and then they don't show you the health. Um, so you get this kind of like you're relying on, um, you know, their health bar and you can kind of see, okay, like this attack does that takes this much off their health bar. So I'm going to use this. And then you're kind of calculating that to reach the end of the bar. But when you're on the second wind mode of a boss fight, you really, yeah, you don't know how long it's going to take. And I, I, specifically remember fighting some bosses and just being like this is gonna take forever is this seriously the way to kill him and i started thinking and i hate this thought i started thinking maybe i have to lose to this boss and that's part of the story because mm -hmm. they do that in rpgs and i hate it they do and i had the same feeling and it always seemed no matter what stage of the game you were at your characters, unless you were in like Ryu's dragon form or some massively strong Karn fusion form, characters just took a sliver of health off those bosses. Mm -hmm. It was really intimidating to me. But then after a couple of rounds, especially on auto battle, if that's the route that I chose, you'd, you'd see that they'd be chipped away. But to me, it never felt like it was fast enough. The battle seemed to really carry out a little bit too long. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, but uh, and you mentioned there the uh, the fusions again. Um, do you think that the game over relies on that? Yeah, I honestly feel like 
the game itself shouldn't have had eight characters. Mm, I feel there's like a, a thought. A lot, yeah. Like if you can just spontaneously combine three or four of them, and not four, but three of them into one conglomerate, and never think twice about needing to separate them out, then there's too much overlap. And I'm coming from the position of somebody that really likes job-based games where characters have a specific role, you know, something like Final Fantasy VI where everybody can learn every magic. Mm-hmm. It was a good thing, but it kind of irked me. I kind of like having a dedicated healer, a dedicated black mage, a dedicated warrior type. And Breath of Fire tried to do that, I feel, but also had a little bit too much of sameness across several characters that someone like Gobi, right? I never never even thought to use Gobi in battle. Gobi sucked. He could be yeah. fused with Karn all the time. That's fine. Someone yeah. like like Bo or Ox, I loved them individually, but they were stronger in a fusion. So I didn't feel like I was missing anything without even having them in my party. So to me, they were almost like, like a filler for a lot of the story, a lot of sidebars for these characters that, again, I didn't really care for and didn't really feel like I needed. Mm-hmm. The game seemed to really want to push this strong party of eight when really it was just a party of four by the end of it. I really like that idea of, of maybe a kind of a less is more sort of a thing. Gobi and, and Mogu were two characters that they just could have dropped from this game as far as playable characters go, uh, in my opinion. But <clears throat> yeah, limiting the cast. I like that you mentioned that this is something that kind of plays more in the direction of each character has a unique set of spells and a unique class uh, that they fulfill in your party. Um, most of them, some of them kind of, you know, don't, but, or there's overlap and redundancy, but I think that is refreshing. And as a kind of counterpoint to the final fantasy approach that we've seen a lot, which is that characters can learn almost anything. Um, and there's very little that's uh, unique in terms of battle gameplay to them. And so you'll find that that's something that's been repeated uh, or that's going to be repeated rather through the Breath of Fire series. Okay, so we have a couple final questions here. And I just wanted to remind our listeners, if you want to ask a question on the episode, you need to visit my Twitter profile at the Well Read Mage on Tuesdays, which is typically when I announce a new episode. Sometimes I do not announce it on Tuesdays, but just keep an eye on that Twitter account. So this is a question from Clyde Lee. I love the way the series had overworld character interactions and characters that can combine so you do not use party members. Is there a significant feature we wish more JRPGs took from Breath of Fire's innovations? Hmm. Apart from the auto battle, I can't really think of much. I think, and I'm sure a lot of games that are more modern probably adapted some form of that. Like I know Final Fantasy XII was the first game I played where it kind of diverged from turn-based combat into something a little bit more real-time where Mm -hmm. you could just set it and forget it, essentially. Mm -hmm. But apart from that, I don't really feel like Breath of Fire really came with an innovative perspective on enough things for me to feel like I would like to amend other games with features from this particular one. Mm -hmm. I would think only pretty much of the, yeah, the auto battle. Um, Second wind would be cool to see again, but it can get annoying. So I'm not going to wish that on anyone. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then this is from Ancient Lit Dude. So Ancient Lit Dude and um, his girlfriend, Live Not Chris, um, are putting together a Breath of Fire podcast. Um, they don't have a, a name set for it in stone just yet, but uh, look out for that. Um, Ancient Lit Dude runs a great YouTube channel. Um, so, but he has a question here. Does Breath of Fire feel more like a Western RPG or a JRPG to you? I felt like the game was surprisingly European in theme in some ways. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I'm not really entirely well-versed on what would differentiate Western from JRPGs, honestly. So I don't know that I would have much of a thought okay. on that. I tried to look into it a little bit just to see what the differences actually would be, but nothing really concrete is out there. I don't know if you might be able to fill me in. Um, I'm not, a, I'm not by any means an expert either. I play more JRPGs than Western RPGs. And that's just in terms of not necessarily their setting or their tropes, but just their, their origins. Um, JRPGs to my mind tend to focus, uh, especially in the nineties, on you know the, the diverse cast of characters coming together to fight this final boss that's like a god or a deity, um, and there's a lot of melodrama. There's a lot of emphasis on friendship, the power of friendship, and all this stuff um, that are kind of key stereotypes for that. Uh, but I think we've seen so much in JRPGs influenced by the big guns, Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, things like that. That's kind of hard to differentiate. Um, whereas with Western RPGs, I I think the older that you get with those that tend to be like the dungeon crawlers and the mazes and um, that sort of thing, more text-based type stuff. But uh, I'm not 100% sure on that. But he is right. I think that the, the game is surprisingly European in theme. Um, and that's certainly by design it has you know castles and classical kind of fantasy things from the west um and not really many eastern uh settings in it but i'm sure there's quite a lot to say there and that's exactly why we need a podcast like the one being put together by ancient lit dude so that he can <laughs> describe these things in more detail absolutely yeah for sure so thanks for hanging out uh, HG, I appreciate it. Um, would you be able to let our listeners know where they can find you? I could do that if you'd like. So if you're looking to find any more of me on the internet, I stream three nights a week on Twitch. And my username there is just HungryGoria. You can find me there. And also I have a YouTube channel where I do some video game reviews, sometimes do some retrospective stuff as well. And just a variety of retro-focused video game content. So those would be the two spots to find me. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining me for this cast. And I wish you the best of luck should you journey on into, into Breath of Fire 2. Well, thank you very much. I am heartened by your descriptions of what <laughs> is to come. Awesome. <laughs> I think that you'll, well, if you're anything like me, you'll probably find yeah, those connections of the story uh, to be a fascinating part. And that's kind of things that are kind of end loaded, back loaded, whatever you want to call that towards the end of the game uh, in, in the coming games. But it's interesting to see how these games connect at least. So take heart in that. 
I will. I'm looking forward to it for sure. Well, that's it for Magecast. The spell is wearing off. But stick around for a promo about another show I'd know you'd just love. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you liked it, please like, subscribe, and share this episode to help us reach a wider audience. If you enjoy our work, please consider supporting us and our vision for the future of civil gaming conversations with a monthly pledge of any amount at patreon.com forward slash the well-read mage. This episode may be over, but the legend will live on. Passed down by the dwarves, the elves, and the dragons. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is one of your hosts, Danny of Opinioneering. Now, when I say Opinioneering, a lot of people don't know what I'm talking about. But what I mean is the word opinion and also engineering. So Opinioneering is us going through life, giving our opinion about mostly nerd culture, pop culture things, really any type of culture. We get into a, a lot of tangents, but we like to delve in the realm of nerd culture and pop culture because that's what we grew up in. And now we are three nerd dads talking about the nerd culture here today and how we are moving forward and teaching our kids how to be nerds and we go into real big depths about film music comic books television so join us on the little fellow media podcast network today because we like having a lot of fun and hopefully it's with you because we're just three nerd dad friends in and around our 30s sitting around a booze-filled table talking about nerd culture so we want you to join in on the party so come on down to opinioneering and listen in thank you all again join us on the little fellow media podcast network